0: Coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, also the land of the Lenny Lenape people. I am Lisa Sharon Harper, President of Freedom Road, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap. Welcome to the Freedom Road Podcast. Each month, we bring together national faith leaders, advocates, and activists to have the kinds of conversations that we normally have on the front lines. Only this time, we have microphones in our faces and you are listening in. And this month, we are joined by two amazing people. Oh my gosh, truly amazing. Sybil Fox and Rob Richardson. They're both featured in the award-winning Amazon documentary, Time, which is now being published as an incredible book that tells even more of the story. Y'all, I sat down and I watched the documentary and I wanna advise every single person who listens to this needs to you know click out of this when it's done and then go watch the documentary. You will not be disappointed. Oh my gosh. And the last moment, the last... You know, Sybil told me when we were talking that I, I get her. I better like bring, you know, napkins and tissues and stuff because I was gonna cry. And I'll tell you what, the whole time I was like, I dare you to make me cry. I dare you make that last scene? I was like, uh-hoo, uh-hoo, uh-hoo. I mean, I was, I was so done. It's so good. It's like it all builds to that last moment. So Fox and Rob are a formerly incarcerated couple. And Fox served seven years and Rob did 21 years time behind bars in Angola prison in Louisiana. So I invited Fox and Rob to talk with us today because they learned something about resilience. They learned something about our broken justice system. They learned something about grace, doing all that time. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Tweet to me at Lisa S. Harper or on Instagram at Lisa S. Harper or to Freedom Road at Freedom Road Us and keep sharing the podcast with your friends and networks and letting us know what you think. Sybil and Rob, I would love to talk with you about, well, your entire story. I'm really looking forward to hearing your whole story and how it intersects with the work of defeating mass incarceration in our world today. And looking at, at, and what I have actually been thinking about in terms of mass incarceration, I think a lot of people, is that it's in many ways the clearest manifestation of the racial hierarchy, the system of racial hierarchy that has been developed in our world today. So I really want to know. Like, how has your story interacted, intersected with that, with that, with the creation of this racial hierarchy system? But before we get into that, I really want to hear what happened. I mean, my friends, you went through it. You went through it in a major way. And so would you just share with us your, the basics of your story as as it's laid out in your book?
1: Okay. Well, collectively, we are known as Fox and Rob. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're a formerly incarcerated couple who spent more than 21 years behind bars before receiving clemency in 2018.
0: Now, just to be clear, when you say a formerly incarcerated couple, because I've been hearing that language a lot recently, formerly incarcerated families, formerly incarcerated couples. For the sake of the listeners, you're not saying that both of you were literally clink,
2: clink behind bars. Yeah, both of us, Lisa, were clink, clink behind bars. You
0: were. Yes. You were. Wow. Mm. Okay, so now y'all going to have to break this down. Break it down.
1: <laughs> but as a formerly incarcerated couple, we received clemency in 2018. At that point of 2018, I had served 21 years and four days incarcerated. Fox had had two seven-year sentences and one five-year sentence run concurrent with one another for which she had done her time. And from that, I think the biggest takeaway that both of us had her at hurt at, her, at the time of her release, as well as me at the time of mine. And that is, is that to be free is to free others. But Mm -hmm. with that being said, we were high school sweethearts. We met one another while I was in the, uh, I was in the Navy and Fox was in our last year of high school. And Mm -hmm. we fell in love day one. Of course, it depends on which one of us you ask this story of.
0: y'all, y'all who are listening in, you can't see them, but I can see how they would fall in love. They are two very beautiful people. Okay. (laughs) Gorgeous people. So. Go and on. that's what was I was it...
1: trying to tell her from the yeah. beginning because she she was up she's a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was okay. in love the minute I first I first laid eyes on her. Oh. I thought the feeling was mutual, and I found out later on that she didn't start loving me till much later on in the relationship. So I'm oh. like, well, okay, well. <laughs>
0: But isn't that how women are? We just kind of open up to it over time. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Come on, box. That's great. But you gave him a chance. You gave him a chance. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right.
3: Yeah,
1: so after ten years of on again, off again, a relationship with one another, we decided to to take the next step in our relationship, and we went from being in relation to one another to uh, sharing nuptials with one another, where we eloped and got married because I wanted to speed things along, didn't want a long laid out marriage and those kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. I figured that after ten years, pretty much anything and everything that we needed to know about one another, we knew already.
2: Ten and years, were you still three children? Oh, my goodness. We had three children between us and had dated 10 years off and on before uh, Rob finally proposed.
1: So this takes us all the way. back. Wait,
2: wait, wait, I just got to say, Fox made that clear.
1: Right, (laughs) right.
0: Fox was like, wait, y'all got to understand. So three (laughs) children and 10 years into it. Can I just yeah. ask very quickly? Because I you know I'm a, I'm a total romantic, and I just love myself some romantic movies and books and whatever. And so, you know, Fox, did you throw down the hints every once in a while? Like, what what was it that held you up, Rob? Like, why did you wait ten years?
1: I asked a lot earlier than that. I might have asked for the first maybe two years yes, into our, our relationship. Seventeen. <laughs>
2: asked me at 17 and I was having some challenges at home and he was like, Baby, don't worry about it. I'll marry you. Come to come to Scotland with me. He's in the Navy. Come oh, to wow. Scotland with me. And you can uh-huh. finish school here. I'm like, boy, But graduate and go to college. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Okay. And so then it was a matter of him, you know, finding his way, me finding mm-hmm. my way, neither of having any marriage mentors or relationship mentors in our mm-hmm. life. But both of us still wanting to do what was right. And so Mm -hmm. I think by that time, we just came to a point where he was ready to do what was right and I was ready to do what was right. And so he asked again, and we weren't even dating when he asked. We're not even dating. So I I didn't miss that opportunity. (laughs) You were like, okay, okay, for real this time. okay, y'all. I mean, you hadn't said it in eight years. I mean, uh, I trust that you really mean it. So we're just mm. going to figure it out. And so before wow. we went
1: the long marriage and everything else, we eloped. No, the and- um, engagement is what you're
2: Yeah. Say the engagement. Went- long uh, engagement. I'm sorry. Before
1: went the engagement, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, got married. Uh, we eloped to a small wedding chapel in St. Uh, Kissimmee, St. Cloud, Florida. Wow. bungee jumped uh, in order to consummate our marriage that night. We came back home. <laughs> <by> <laughs>
0: The image that you just threw out there is a little bit like it takes some, some results of the brain to catch. You bungee jump. Yes, everybody.
1: yes. In order and crazy to- enough, we recorded it.
0: All right. I'm going to let that one go. Everybody, y'all just let that go. And just know
2: they had fun. Okay? Yes. They, they had I a lot of fun. It was a matter of saying to the fact that we had overcome all of the social norms and, and all of the, the mistakes that we had made along the way. And that we had finally done it, that we had finally put our family together and were moving in the right direction of building mm-hmm. a formidable mm-hmm. life for ourselves and for our, our three sons that we had at the time.
0: So and here you are now. What year is this?
2: 1997.
1: 97. So,
0: 1997. Everybody think of where you were in 1997. April now, I was living of in. 97. It. Say it again.
1: April of 97. So, in Wonderful Spring. Settings, <laughs>
0: right? Oh, okay, so you got the flowers. It's a nice setting. It's a nice spring day. Think of where you were. April ninety seven. Ninety seven. I was living in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. I was over in the Westwood area. I can tell you right now. You know, I was over actually near UCLA, and it was probably right around you know graduation time. So you know, so where were you, audience? In nineteen ninety seven? This is where Fox and Rob were. They were just they had just. Sealed the deal. Bungee jumped and got married, and mm-hmm. so then what happened? Six months later,
1: well, yeah, not gonna fill in that. We bought a home, and we get some other exciting okay, stuff yeah. in between there. We were so excited, haven't haven't had a ball that entire time that we were away in in Orlando, Florida. We went back home. We had already started the process to uh, what would become our family's first home. We got back to Louisiana, which is uh, where we're from. And we are closed on our on our home, person. and wow. all too excited. Uh, maybe not even a week later, we were able to close a contract as well on what would become our family's first business. Come out of the uh, the hip hop generation, so hip hop clothing stores were a thing that were popular. That was popular back then, mm-hmm. and we had every intention on opening up the first of of its kind in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, right after we got married. We went out, we went to Vegas. We did all of the uh, shopping for clothes. We met all of the right people, had an investor lined up. And no sooner said than done, we got back home thinking that we were about to bust the doors open on, uh, on our store, on this hmm. venture. And our, um, our funder pulled out on us.
2: So that was the whirlwind for us, you know, where hmm. this new married couple were finally getting it right. And then our world began to fall apart. And that is when we found ourselves in Louisiana's criminal justice system. And I know that Rob mentioned that we got married. We're also subjects of the Oscar-nominated documentary Time, which was the most honored documentary of 2020, as Mm -hmm. well as we are now the authors of the forthcoming book releasing February 7th, Time, the untold story of the love that held us together when incarceration kept us apart, because Mm -hmm. that's the part of the story we begin now. What we want to understand is, What is the crux of the Louisiana
0: justice system that you interacted with that made you feel like you had just seen a monster?
2: Oh, my goodness. So many elements of it. I'll be honest with you. And like mm-hmm. most people, Miss Lisa, I, and excuse our manners. First, I would have to say thank you for having us as a part of your podcast, mm-hmm. your work, your body of work for women, religion, the cross-section of those, the cross-section of things like social justice, immigration. We just thank you for how you are using your voice mm-hmm. and your pen to raise and your religion's. Your religion to raise awareness and to bring people together. That is extremely mm-hmm. important for us. I voted for many of the measures that we fell free to. The three strikes oh, and God. you are outlawed. I remember very vividly being coming home from college and going into the booth and voting for it. I voted wow. for You're 17 years old and you've been convicted of a, a, of a crime then you can be charged as an adult. And I voted for felons doing 85% of their time. If it is All three of these measures were on the same ballot ballot, and I voted yes for all of them. And then I watched my family sit in the courtroom and see how a white person could come through the courts in Louisiana and they not multi-bill them. They can charge them with lesser crimes. And then I watched my family who had broken the law, no less. We were willing to take responsibility for what we had done. First Mm -hmm. offenders. We were first offenders in the state of Louisiana. And you know, realized from the very onset that we had made a very wrong judgment trying to regain financial solvency for our family. And Hmm. And in the midst of that, we watched the system in turn decide that not only did we cause harm, but they would cause harm against us. By sentencing my husband to sixty years in prison as a first-time offender in a in a non violent crime, well, bank Those. robbery is a violent offense. He okay. did have a weapon that was not discharged. Okay, and, and then my our nephew, but who, still. Well, it's like years, mm-hmm. fifty-one
1: years. It's like a fox may mention just one of those measures that she voted for under the Truth and Sentencing Crime Bill that uh, came from Bill Clinton, former president of Bill Clinton. Wow. Part of it is also the recharacterizing of crimes to mm-hmm. where pretty much all. Uh, almost any crime that you could um, get here in a Louisiana under the violent crime. So you would now
2: have to do 85% of the time instead of other good time laws that may have been available, like 50%, where you serve 50% on good time and then you're released. Mm -hmm. Wow. Can
0: I just clarify something very quickly? Because it's very, I think it's very important for us. Details matter. And Mm -hmm. especially in politics, they matter. And this is something that most people don't talk about now. I don't know Why? I'm not going to try to figure that out. But just to say that, yes, it did pass under Bill Clinton. And yes, he took credit for it. But the reality is, you know, being somebody whose whose past was based in the evangelical world. And by that, I mean the white evangelical world. I was like all up in that space. I know that they are the ones who pushed their Republican representatives to actually conceive of that whole bill of the crime bill as it was and to push it. And Clinton passed it in order to gain political points. So he Mm -hmm. gained political points on something that was not his idea, but
2: he claimed responsibility for. And now it's going back to bite him in the butt. And And then may I add this piece? The other interesting element for me that you bring that up, Lisa, is that he not only accepted responsibility, he apologized, but at no point have I seen he or Hillary Clinton work to undo the harm that they caused. I'm like, keep the apology. Let's do the work to undo what you did. Mm. Okay, now. All right. You just threw down the gauntlet. You just threw
0: down the gauntlet. You heard that, Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> you're still working. You're still working at still it. Working. I know that you have you're the still, ability. You're
2: still living. And as long as we have breath, and what the Bible teaches us, as long as we have breath in our body, then that means that we're here to be of service to the Lord.
0: So, Rob, you were sentenced to 60 years. I imagine that's three consecutive 20-year sentences. Is that right? Or something no, like that?
1: One flat 60-year so, sentence. Right. 60 and at 85%, you're talking about 51 years before ever having an opportunity at parole, early release, yeah. wow. any of those types of things. So you'd and have to so, be years.
0: And so there was, obviously, there were mistakes made. There were bad judgments that were made. And you were willing to do the time. But what you found yourself was in the middle of a political maelstrom. That's right. You found yourself in the middle of a political, like, Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. You that? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. so. And you in.
0: Yeah.
2: And then you spent years and years and years 20, behind bars. 20 years mm-hmm. to come home. 21 mm-hmm. years fighting to come home. 21 years fighting to come home fighting to say that, are we not redeemable? We have raised six boys through the criminal justice system. None of our sons have ever gone to prison. So when you say that you have a track record of, of doing right and the next right thing, and then you have to still not have others believe in that it is a, or even people to look at the, the, the amount of time that my husband and his nephew received, His nephew who went in the bank with him, who did not have a weapon, he only had mace as a weapon. They sentenced him to 45 years at 20 years old, first offender. Wow. And so, like you, Lisa, my mouth was open. I could not believe it. I never imagined that they were treating human beings in this way in our state. And here I was, my husband and I are both college educated people. I've got two college degrees by right. the time we go into the system. And to see that they would, if, if they are treating us in this manner, those less fortunate souls, I could only imagine. So it just really opened my eyes to say that justice is not blind; it sees mm-hmm. very well, and it sees that it has no value in black life in Louisiana. Wow. And I'm, I
0: am, you know, recalling a lot of research that I've done in the past on the mass on the mass incarceration system, and how it is directly connected to the system of Jim Crow, which was directly connected, and actually. Formed in order to renew the system of enslavement, basically free labor, in order to uphold the economy of the South, white men's bank accounts. That's the bottom line.
1: That's and right. I know,
0: especially in Louisiana, they have Louisiana, Mississippi, especially, they have their penitentiary system is directly connected with the old plantation system. Did
2: you experience any of that while you were in?
1: Oh, yes, indeed.
2: When you talk about that. You have to go back and think about the founding of Angola prison. Rob spent 21 years at Angola Mm
1: -hmm. and Angola
2: was named after the place where they got the slaves to breed on the grounds. So (laughs) that was the
1: the same grounds that the prison is located on. It's centered by some as 18,000 sprawling acres of some of the uh, the richest land, bar none. But as Fox may mention, this was also the uh, the place where people that were coming into Louisiana from Angola, Africa, this is where they came to. Hence, they, they named the ground after the same spot where the people were coming from. It
2: was a breeding place. But it was a breeding okay. place. Yeah, I think we need
0: to sit on that for a minute because, Fox, you said that twice. Mm-hmm. This was a breeding place, y'all. Okay, so I most of what I understand of the practice of breeding enslaved people is that it began after the the shutdown of the transatlantic slave trade when they were bringing African people over from Angola and other places to America and or to, to the colonies and then to America. And then when that shut down, there was an intracontinental slave trade that began mostly from Virginia, but also Maryland and Delaware and even North Carolina, where they they had a plantation set up. The whole purpose was not tobacco, not cotton, but breeding people for right. the deep south. I have never until right now understood or known. That those breeding farms existed, I mean, you shouldn't even call them farms, breeding prisons, really, right. existed Breeding
2: plantation. in the mm-hmm.
0: deep south, in mm-hmm. Louisiana itself. That's right. And you're telling me that Angola began as a breeding farm. That's right. Breeding And plantation. it wasn't
1: until later. Wasn't until later that they ended up moving the women off of the uh, the grounds,
2: and then it became oh.
1: and then it became a it, it became a holding spot the for leasing. people that were, yeah. right. So exactly. it has a, a rich history that uh, resembles so closely to that of uh, the peculiar system that we know as slavery. Uh, so yes, uh, mass incarceration is indeed an outgrowth of of the first system that we know of that we know of that being slavery. But they still to this day they pick cotton. They tore the fields, you know, pretty much any and everything that you see or witness during times of slavery, you pretty much see it now. The people that are the overseers, there's a a, a big house, there's, a, a, there's a, a golf course. The golf course is tended to by the uh, people that are incarcerated at, at, and enslaved there. The grounds are upheld by that. They have what is called a, a ranch house. But it's like the big house. And there they have guys that go there to cook. They go there to clean. They go there to wait on any and everybody that the warden of the institution brings there to visit. And they get an opportunity to kind of venture back into the old days, you know, when they, uh, when they come to them. So, yes, so, it's a, a horrible, horrible place.
0: Rob, can you take us to a moment when you woke up in any one of the 21 years that you were there? When you woke up one day, and what was the first thing that came to your mind?
1: I'll give you one before I ever woke up. This Mm -hmm. was my very first night in my dormitory. Mm -hmm. I had just been a man, maybe about 60 other guys had, uh, had been put together on a bus. We had stopped at several depot stations throughout, you know, throughout the northern. We started in northeast Louisiana, northwest Louisiana. And we ventured all the way ultimately down to uh, South Louisiana, but we stopped at various holding spots to pick up other men that were also uh, what they considered to be Angola bound. By the time we reached Angola and were processed in, we were given dormitory assignments. By the time I made it to my dormitory, it had to be after 10 o'clock at night because the lights uh, typically go off in the dormitories at 10 o'clock at night. I learned that in hindsight. The lights were out, and when I got to the uh, to the dormitory and they let me in, there was a young gentleman that was sitting at the uh, table, and I was trying to figure out, like, where do I go from here? And he pointed me a direction and just said, over here. And I had to find my bed. It was bed 57. And when I got to my bed, finally, it was almost like a blind person reading Braille. You know, mm-hmm. because it's so dark in the place, and all you can kind of, you know, that there are people stirring around, but you can't necessarily see anyone just mm-hmm. as yet because my eyes have not yet adjusted to my environment. Mm-hmm. I get to my to my my bed, and when I get to the bed, I lay my stuff down, I'm exhausted from the uh, from the trip. I've been up ever since two o'clock that morning, you know, in the uh, in the transit, and when I lay back on my bed. I looked up, and when I looked up, all I could see, because it was summertime, this was August of '97, and they had two, two fans blowing in the dorm of 100 men inside the dormitory. And, no, this is 99. I'm sorry, Fox, I said 97, but it's 99, August of 1999. Uh-huh. So it's summertime, and these two fans are blowing. They're, they're roaring, you know, those big floor fans. And all I could see was, like, the sheets flapping on the, uh, on the edges of the bed. And what it reminded me of is it reminded me of a slave ship and how on the slave ship where people are faced fore and aft, but they are faced head to toe and they're in a line like this. And they were like four rows deep and they went seemingly what what felt like as far as the eye could see. Those Uh dormitories have to be easily about 35 to maybe 4,000 square foot of space where they have these hundred men confined, stacked inside of this place. It smelled like sweaty bodies. And you can think about August. August is one of the hottest is months, air conditioning. one of the hottest months in the in the deep South, particularly in Louisiana. And uh, this day here was no different. So you could smell sweaty bodies. You could smell, you know, the, the leftovers of, of, of many and many countless hours of labor, you know, that men had been toiling all day. So it, it was just one of those eerie kind of feelings Mm
3: -hmm. to where
1: i previously had witnessed or had you know through television and through books you know had an opportunity to see what the hull of a ship looked like a slave ship looked like and just i'm talking about immediately it was like wow look at this
2: these are
0: our stories you're listening to the freedom road podcast where we bring you stories from the front lines of the struggle for justice. Rob, you just, you just shared with us your first night and being reminded of the hull of a slave ship. And thank you for taking us with you back into that space. Fox, you were so clear. Several times you said that we need to understand the context of these prisons, particularly this was, particularly the ones that you were in. This is a slave barn. This mm-hmm. is a slave farm, a breeding plantation. So I want to ask you in the 21 years that you were incarcerated as a result of measures you voted for, what did you learn that we need to know?
1: That to be free is to
3: free others.
2: Mm-hmm. Talking about that. Don't let you talk. is, for, he, his is, is to be free is to free others. And that is our work. And we can expound upon that. Mm-hmm. For me, what I learned is that love is the most divine chemical in the universe and Mm -hmm. it dissolves everything that is not of itself. I love my husband, and I love my family, and I wasn't going to allow anything, including the state of Louisiana, to take that from me. God had put us together. A mistake had separated us, but my family was more than the worst thing we had ever done, and so with every breath of my body, Every cell in my my being, I was going to fight until the end, until I gave back what God had given us, a family. Wow. So the name of your book and the, and the documentary is Time. Time. Sure. The Time. book the untold story of the love that held us together. When incarceration kept us apart, mm-hmm. people say, oh, you must have really loved that man, you know, to wait on him for 21 years. And, and every time anyone spoke to me, I was only speaking of the reunion with my husband and my, my, my family. And my response is, no, what I love is my family.
3: Mm-hmm. That
2: man is just one portion of that family. But mm-hmm. all of them are equally as important. Mm-hmm. You no know, one member of the family is greater than enough. And so mm-hmm. understanding that we were willing to make the sacrifice, all of us. It wasn't just me fighting, Lisa. It was all mm-hmm. six of our sons. If my husband mm-hmm. had, a, had a hearing, my bonus son, my, my husband's son from a previous relationship, mm-hmm. he was going to fly down to come and, and be at that hearing. Before he got of age, I flew him down every year so that he could maintain a relationship with his father. No matter where we were, we were family. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that really strikes
0: me, well, there's <laughs> lots that strike me about about your story and about even this piece that you're talking about, love. That love is the most powerful power in the universe. Nothing, nothing. How did you put that? Nothing can dissolve it, it or it, it dissolves it, everything. It dissolves against.
2: everything that is not of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I love that. I hope you wrote that down in your book because that's a quotable right there. in the book. (laughs) That's a quote. Somebody make a
0: meme. That's so good. But the thing that really strikes me is that what I've come to understand about the world and the universe and my faith, Jesus, Christianity, God, the cross, all of it is that it is all. We exist for connection. Yes. Like we exist. Yes. To connect with God, with the rest of, Creation with each other, with ourselves and with our communities, we exist for that and the principal sin the, the 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 core brokenness that imprisonment and especially mass imprisonment and long imprisonment does is it causes fracture it causes breaking in those relate in all of those relationships.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and the thing is, is, the thing is, I mean, my God, my have all kinds of synapses going, but I'm thinking, you know, the and this is actually also, it's mirrored in, in Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy and in the work he does with EJI, that the the separation that we as people of African descent in America experienced on slave plantations when we were sold away from each other or bred away from each other is the same separation.
3: That happens
0: in Angola today. That's right. So can you talk to us a little bit about that time and, and how love, how was love more powerful
2: than even the separation that tried to break you apart? I think probably one of the prime examples I would like to share would be one that Rob shares often about his parenting with our hmm. children. Baby, tell that story. Um, that is so ama- amazing, amazing to even think of you guys parenting from behind bars. I know, right? How? You feel a daddy no matter <laughs> where you are. Yes.
1: And I think the the context for me is that when you come to the realization that not only have you been wrong but that you have been placed back into a condition, you know, that in your mind, or at least in my mind at that, at that time, like most people, I thought slavery was over, thought it had ended, you know, many, mm-hmm. many years ago, and it was just a thing that they spoke about in the past. But mm-hmm. it wasn't until I became incarcerated that I understood that the 13th Amendment is real and that if you commit a crime in this country- You are a slave. That you can be forced back into slavery. So for all practical purposes, I was thrown back into slavery for something that even the victims of the crime did not ask for in our our instance. The judge in our case sidestepped every pre-sentence evaluation that takes place before you even issue out time. And he sidestepped all of that. The recommendations. Right. And he sidestepped all of that to issue out a 61 and 45-year sentence, respectively, for me and my nephew. And then two seven-year sentences and one five-year sentence for my wife whose only role in the process was she dropped us off at the bank that morning. They wanted wow. to give her 40 years, but she copped out. She pled guilty to the charges to avoid the 40-year sentence that they offered her as a plea bargain. Wow. As forward, once you find yourself in a situation like that, I remember the very first time that I watched Roots. And uh, I was a little kid, had to be about maybe seven or eight years old at the time. And I was thinking to myself, probably like most of little kids around that same age, and I thought, I said, boy, if I'd have been back in there, boy, I'd have, and I would have, and I'd have, and I'd have, and I'd have did, and I would have. Yeah, and, you know, as a little yeah. kid, you're just thinking to yourself, like, why are they not fighting back? Right. And right. when I found myself in that situation, I realized that just as that little kid, when I was seven or eight years old watching Roots for the very first time, I realized that I was in the fight of my life. Mm-hmm. Yes, with you were. And being said, oh, this no. was a fight that mm-hmm. I had no intentions on losing. Mm. Uh, So everything that is that prison incarceration is intended to do to families, we set out to ensure that it would not happen to this family. That being said, I realized that my fathering, my parenting did not stop simply because my social existence in our society came to a close. But it it, it did not negate the fact that I was a father. It did not negate the fact that I was a, a husband it did not negate the fact that I, that I was a man. And with those things right. being said, I, I picked up a magazine one day and it was during Father's Day. It was a magazine that was geared toward men. It's Men's Health uh, Magazine. And in there, they had an issue that was specifically to fathers for Father's Day. And it spoke about the amount of time that a father spends engaged with his children on a thirty on a month-to-month basis. Right, yeah. And when I realized how little time, in-house fathers or fathers who are free from incarceration spend with their children, it's less than eight hours, eight hours less than or eight a month, a month.
2: With quality time. Mm-hmm. Is
1: the amount of time that a father spends engaged with their children on a month to month basis.
2: Well, that's that tells said, a
1: lot. I started to do the math and I realized that if I am entitled to two visits a month, and if I get my extended visit issued, then that means that each visit I would have eight hours that I could parent my children in those moments. Sixteen hours if you include the two visits, which means that it put me on par with at least the average father in society. So if nothing else, I had a duty and an obligation to be intentional about my visits when my, when my children came to visit.
0: Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, so I'm actually. But I'm one. One of the lessons I'm taking from this, first of all, is do the math. Okay, do the math. Secondly, is, you know, being family is resistance.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Like being a father is resistance.
1: You That's better right.
0: Making sure your family shows up is mm-hmm. resistance. That's right.
1: Hey. And uh, it was one of our family's biggest quotes, and it says that whenever an oppressed people mm-hmm. intentionally create moments of pleasure,
3: is it
0: right.
1: is considered an act of resistance. That's right. That's right. That's really true. So for us, we were intentional about being this, resistant.
2: This system.
1: So I mean, that meant that we were not going to be as, as incarcerated children of incarcerated parents. Our children had made the commitment that they were going to finish not only high school, but they were going to also seek higher education, that they were not going to have children out of wedlock, that they were not going to succumb to drugs and alcohol and those other things. All of the negative wow. things that are generally associated when you have a parent that is yeah. incarcerated.
2: And then we, right. and we <laughs> have
1: two parents that are incarcerated and right. doing the man. Maybe that meant that our children were twice the time that... The other that, times. That, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Only have one parent behind bars. Wow. So with that being said, to know that all five, that five of our six sons and, and the sixth one is on his way to college this January. But
2: all, uh, but sons, all of our
1: sons, except the
2: sixteen-year-old, have been to college. Have been
1: to college. Two
2: have mm-hmm. successfully served in our nation's army. Military. No one has served. One has completed dental school and is a student at IU in his residency for orthodontics. He graduates in July. Wow. Our other son in is- a
1: field where black men account for less than one percent of those practicing dentistry. practicing in the field of dentistry
2: y'all
0: are a case study in what works. I mean and what what matters. That's
1: because
2: and faith Lisa yeah. and that's what we talk about in the book it is it is our story is what we say our story is is not just a story it's a movement.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's a
2: movement to show other families who are going through whatever the challenges may be that that they can resist what the these systems and obstacles have set into place for us. Mhm. Mhm. Do you, when you think of the word time, what do you think? Of? A priceless asset that we can that is neither created nor destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody can live forever in your heart. Mm-hmm. But our time on this planet is limited. And so mm-hmm. I have a high value for sometimes people think that I'm um short or, you know, I'm I'm, I'm moving too fast. But I know that so much of our time has been given to the system that we really have to place an intentional value on how we use all of our moments, Mm -hmm. even from when we visited for 21 years. Mm -hmm. You know, how did we visit? I'm cautious about how many times somebody comes over and spends time at the table because all we got is this time right here. Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. You know, if if we're going to get more than two visits, if our special visits will be approved this month, we'll get more than two times together this month. I don't know right. if I'll have enough money to get back down here another time this month, right? Oh. If my car be working to get me down here another time
1: this month, because many of our wow. many of our prisons anywhere in this country are usually in remote areas, and those prison jobs are usually set aside for some uh, small, poor rural county white parish. white white uh, what do you call them? Parishians That's right. That live in the uh, that live in the area. So mm-hmm. Angola is strategically placed to where the mass majority of the people that work there come from across Mississippi lines into uh, Louisiana to come there to work. But that being said, prisons are usually remote and isolated away from our urban areas where many of our, our kind come from. So mm-hmm. Fox had to journey a five-hour okay. one-way drive just to come to prison to see me. So she would have our sons up at 2, 3 in the morning And in an would
2: say. Why are you dragging those children down to that prison? They don't want to go sit in that prison all day. You should make those children do that. You know, mm. I'm having to go against the own counsel of my mother. But yeah, I understand yeah. that this God can call you for this. This is my journey. I dug this hole for myself and that she this is my she. family. And mm-hmm. wherever my husband is, that's where my family gonna be on Christmas, on Thanksgiving, on our birthdays. We're wow. going to be with fathers. They, we're going to be together. No mm-hmm. matter though, mm-hmm. you guys are amazing.
0: <laughs> Quite a compliment coming like, from you, young
2: lady. Right. First
0: of all, I'm like so. I feel so privileged just to be talking to you, and and at the same time. Part of what amazes me about you is that you have obviously taken the time that you had to dig deep. I mean, you have dug very deep, and it's one thing that strikes me about you is that you operate without shame. The power of shame coming in and messing with you. You know That's what right. I mean? Can yes, you ma'am. talk to us about that? Like, how does how does shame? factor into your journey? I serve a forgiving
2: God, Lisa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if God could forgive me for mm. my transgression, mm-hmm. and who am I not to forgive myself? Mm. And then who is not my community to forgive me? When the Bible says that he who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus turned away and said, mm, that's what I thought. Yeah. It was, uh, I was preparing myself to leave a prison. And in doing so, Rob calls one day collect. It's like probably one of the times I've scraped up enough money where he can actually call and talk. And he Mm -hmm. says, Baby, I realized what happened to us. And I said, Well, what? Tell me because I'm trying to figure it out. (laughs) He says, We lost our confidence, Fox. He says, We were really on a roll. We were believing in ourselves. We were moving in faith and trust in the process. And when we made that wrong decision to try to regain the help that we needed to save our family, what we thought would save our family, it would make us doubt everything we've done, doing afterwards. He mm-hmm. says, but if we are going to overcome this situation, right, we are not even two years in. He says, if we're going to overcome this, we've got to get our confidence back. We've got to understand that we're more than the worst thing that we have done, Fox. And if God forgives us, we got to forgive ourselves. Right. And sure. the thing Speech. about forgiveness is that it's complete. Let's, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. That is, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what people want. A society wants. They, how dare you talk about that publicly? And that's why we can't get free. The Bible says, "Ye shall know the truth, and the truth so, shall set you free." If mm-hmm. I give you the truth about myself first. I tell you like my mama said, Lisa, she said, well, you know, I always liked how you told your own story because one thing about it, when you run into folk, they thinking it in their mind anyway. So you might as well say, it." (laughs) (laughs) I like your mama. Your mama, she's got some serious smarts. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but it's true. You get you
0: get to actually shape the story. But more than that, you get to live out of the freedom, the freedom that you actually got from your faith. That's right. Because it doesn't really come from
2: anywhere else, does it? Like, and we we can't get free as a people if we're walking around in shame.
3: That's right. Yeah. And then
2: when I understood that this system had been constructed, it wasn't just my transgression, but there was other things in play. This system of slavery that is being carried out and manipulated in the name of mass incarceration that is also to play in this. And right. so, what I noticed as as I traveled and and, and you know became a, a vicious voice for yeah. this system, just being able to say, "Go tell it on the mountain." Was I would go to a church and speak, Miss Lisa, and I would tell you after church service was over, and I'd sit down, I'd have some elder sister on the front row slide me a note to tell me her her son been locked up for twenty years, but don't nobody at the church know. Oh,
3: mm-hmm. shame,
2: shame. Exactly,
0: people. That's what that is, and it, it, it and it 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 does a whole
2: another layer of incarceration of our souls. Yes, that's right. that's right. Whole families that on the outside, of yes. the shame and embarrassment that goes along with the enslaved loved one. And can I just say that you know slavery held its own shame. That
0: part of the reason why we as people of African descent don't like talking about slavery, we don't like that. We mm-hmm. don't like talking about or seeing it. We don't like that. And it's mm-hmm. not a surface thing. It's a gut level thing. It's one of these like, pr- I don't know, primal things. And I don't mean primal as in on un- un- thinking. I mean, it's gut. It's in the marrow. We yeah, don't it's like in it. our
1: we DNA. Don't. That's right. It
0: is. It is in the DNA. And part of the reason we don't like to go there is because slavery, po- what poverty does, poverty twists the image of God. It takes away our dignity. And so slavery is the ultimate poverty because you're not just lacking money. You're lacking all agency. Good all job. power. So what do you do? You try to survive and you do things yeah. that are wrong when you're trying to survive. Yeah. And then it heaps the shame on and I, I think that your your story and your witness is more than just for you. And it's even more than just for mass incarceration. I think that it is you, your the way you walk in the world has the ability to teach us all what it looks like to walk. In the grace of God, and yes. in the dignity of God, the full yes. dignity of God. Period.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. So right.
2: Yes. You gonna make me mess up my makeup over there, Miss Lisa? <laughs> <of> <laughs> I guess that is why he called you what, uh one of the most fifty most powerful women in religion. Girl, oh. you better stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Walking Freedom Road from coast to coast and around the globe. This is the Freedom Road Podcast. So Rob and Fox, Fox and Rob, I want you to tell us when you left, when you, the day that you left the prisons that you were incarcerated in, what was your first thought when you hit free air?
3: For
0: me,
2: my first thought was, oh my God, I got to put my family back together. So I immediately, you know, I'm 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 free. Now I gotta figure out how to get Rob free. And I've got to figure out these four children that I've left behind, the fifth with Rob's son, who was living in New Jersey with his mother. How am I now going to sustain us as Mm -hmm. a convicted felon, as a formerly incarcerated person, as a mother, being poor, having all of these children? How is it then that I am going to be able to move to give us stability while I mm-hmm. also try to regain our freedom? And that is a right. daunting task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I cannot even imagine. So and that was so, your first thought. Yeah, it's like I, more work. I immediately left the facility. I picked up my four children, took them by breakfast at McDonald's and rolled around in the grass on the <laughs> riverfront like we would always do it. Oh. Eat our McDonald's hotcakes and sausage. And, and try wow. to reestablish myself with my three-year-old twins who were babies when I left for prison. And then the next morning, we packed up the car at three o'clock and we went to go see my husband.
3: Three o'clock, a.m.
2: a.m. Wow.
3: Yeah.
0: And so, Rob, what was your first thought when you were finally set
1: free? Probably uh, it, was, it was a competing thought. But mm-hmm. the very first thought that I had uh, as I exited the prison was that uh, you kept your word. And I can remember having these series of dreams that I used to have while I was incarcerated. It was an, it was the dreams that I would always have. It was like I was trying to get somewhere, but I spent the entire time inside of that dream trying mm. to get there. It's like I knew where I was going. If it was an address, if it was a de- you know a location, I knew yeah. exactly where I was going. But mm. when I would get there to the corner, it seemed like things got moved around. I'm like, well, this is not it.
3: Uh, yeah. And I would
1: always wake from the dream before I actually got to where I was going. Right. If you've had an opportunity to watch the uh, the documentary, time it's streaming live on Amazon Prime Video. But when I exited the prison, I had a T-shirt on that says "Never Give Up." Mm. It was after one of those dreams that while I was in the graphic arts program, trying to rehabilitate myself and take advantage of many of the uh, educational programs, uh, well, limited, no, bro. Mm-hmm educational programs that were offered inside of the prison. Graphic arts Mm -hmm. was one of them. And Mm -hmm. uh, while Mm -hmm. in the class, I made a t-shirt for myself Mm. and t-shirt said, never give up. I packed it away in my locker box and I probably was maybe halfway through my 21 year journey at that point. And I said, the day that I walk out of this prison, I'm wearing this shirt. Wow. And boy, that morning when I got up and they told me to pack my stuff and uh, you headed home and I called Fox and tried to get her on the phone. And I was standing in the office of the classification office trying to get them to call my contact person and let them know that they need to pick me up at the front gate. And uh, we got word over to her and I went back to the dorm and I put that shirt on and I walked around, you know, what was to me my last my last hours, you know, mm-hmm. in the, uh, the prison. So yeah. when I walked out the gate that day and came across the, uh, the part where that separates the prison from the free world. I walked into that space and all I could think of at that moment was that you kept your promise. And the promise is that God had already told me that you, you're going to make it just keep, just keep moving. You're going to just keep moving.
0: God told you with a 60 year sentence. Yes, indeed. You're going to make it.
1: You're going to make it. And you
0: walked out in 21.
1: And I walked out in 21 so the rest of that time in between, there was just an act of faith.
0: Mm. You Every day. Every day. Every step.
1: Every, Every step. step. Wow. But I have to say that I, I moved with a different level of confidence, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of that particular dream, because that, those were the last words that I heard when I exited that dream, but yet not reaching my destination. Mm-hmm. With that you're going to make it. Just keep moving. And when I woke from that, I was like, wow, this, this feels different. And it was kind of at that moment, I don't know if you've ever been back to your elementary school or your high school. I have, yes. And, and you, as an adult, you look at it and you wonder to yourself, how did I ever think that this place was this big?
2: Yes, yes.
0: seem seemed huge. Exactly. And it really and wasn't.
1: It, was, <laughs> it really wasn't. And it was in those moments that prison, I felt like a giant inside of prison. I felt that if if they don't fix it, I'll just step over the gate. Not jumping, not climbing. I'll just step over it. You wow. know, it was that kind of feeling, that type of conviction and confidence that yeah. was happening on the inside of me. And I think it, it became contagious, not only wow. with, our, my, with our family, but it became contagious with the people around us, even in the institution. So
2: mm-hmm. much
1: so that they started calling us the first family. We became the Obamas. We realized that in that moment, we had become a demonstration to others. Wow. And in understanding that we were the demonstration for others to follow, mm-hmm. we realized that there was a higher calling. And so when we had those moments where things didn't quite feel right, when we had those moments where we we, you know, that doubt would slip in, when we had those moments that, you know, we were at our wits' ends, you mm-hmm. know, in, in terms of trying to figure out how to revitalize my last writ or how to well, re engage right. the next court, you know, yeah. and those kind of things. All of those things. They just went away because so, you realize that you were operating from a different power. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Amen. I understand that. It's kind of like when you—it's almost like the Matrix.
2: Right. You—you like you see things now. That was not Oh yeah, at least the mm-hmm. Matrix. So it's it's early two thousands, mm-hmm. and I'm watching the Matrix, and the boy's like, "Oh, mom, you gotta see this. You gotta see this." And then Rob would quote Henry David Thoreau often, and he would say, there's nothing more powerful than a thought whose time has come. And, And so in that moment when Neo is in the hallway and the agents are shooting at him and he can't go anywhere and he decides to stand. And then when he stands, he flexes and the whole world ripples around him. That to me was saying there's nothing more powerful than a thought. When your thought is so powerful, when your faith is so strong, it don't matter about these agents that's working against you. You flex on them Mm -hmm. and the world ripples and it moves around you. The wheel of our family was so strong for freedom that the world had to ripple around us, that the justice system in Louisiana, the injustice system had to become just and set us free.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: My hands are raised.
0: I mm-hmm. am in worship right now. I am, I'm at church. Y'all, you took me to church. Mm-hmm. i serious. I am worshiping right now. Y'all, I mean, really, I, I could really literally like break into a song, <laughs> but I won't, I we won't be doing all the 10 So you would not be out of
3: <laughs>
0: But I, I want to know, I want to know from you as you now on the other side. You know, on the other side, as you look back, as now you are, you're touring and sharing your story with the world, what is it that you're hoping that the world will take from this and how can we take action, you know, from your, what do you want us to take action from on your story? How can we, how can we change the way we live in the world in order to make a better world after
2: knowing your story? It is more than just a story. It is a movement. Mm -hmm. A movement for our people to understand that slavery is real and it is legal in the United States of America and that until we remove it from the 13th Amendment, then it still exists. So as Rob shared earlier, we know that to be free is to free others. So in our work, we launched a ministry as soon as Rob came home. Rob has a degree in theology from New Orleans Theological Seminary of New Orleans. New Orleans, New, Baptist. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah. And so we launched our ministry Rich Family Ministries upon his return mm-hmm. and we started an initiative with that ministry and that initiative our our mission is to change law lives and laws through love. And mm-hmm. the initiative that we launched is called Participatory Defense Movement NOLA. PDM NOLA for short. We are one hub of 40 hubs across the country that are doing this work where we teach justice involved citizens how to participate in their own defense, Mm -hmm. how to advocate for themselves, how to fight for themselves. We judge our success by how much time we save someone from serving in prison Mm -hmm. versus how much time they spend in prison. Mm -hmm. To this day, our organization has saved. We started in 2019 Mm -hmm. with that initiative. And to date, we have saved 3,300 years of time,
1: Lisa. Just here in the state
2: of of Louisiana. Wow. Wow. The other beautiful piece about it, our website is pdmnola.org for that Mm -hmm. word. But the other beautiful piece about it as well is in that 3,300 years of time saved, Mm -hmm. One of those lives is our nephew, Ontario. We were not able to get him out on the pardon. But when Rob came home, we kept working on an issue that we knew should have been a misinterpretation of law that needed to be changed. In August of 2021, we got that interpretation corrected and he was able to come home on parole. June 8th of this year, we brought him home to his family and yeah. his three children that he left behind after 25. Uh, after 25 years. In addition to that, we as soon as we launched our initiative, PDM NOLA, we took on the matter of the longest serving woman in this nation. Her name is Gloria Dean Williams. She had done almost 50 years by the time we took on her matter. Mm-hmm. And in January of this year, we returned her home to her family through clemency. After 52 years of time served to her five children, four remaining children that she left behind. And the youngest boy, when he greeted her at the prison gate, he hadn't held his mama outside of prison since he was three years old. Uh, That's how God is using us. Yes.
0: And amen. (laughs) Do you do you see a world where the 13th Amendment is no longer sullied by the clause the, the slavery clause when we are, take it out mm-hmm. do you see that that ha- do you see that happening is there a movement to ha- make that happen
3: we yes.
2: are each in different corners of the world it is the we're critical what say man yes i mean yeah. that removing it is going to reach critical mass well it I, won't become just a thought it will become an expectation it will become a demand And then it will become an action that is legislated through our Congress. And I think that that is really up to
0: all of us, every single listener. If each of our listeners, one thing you can do as a result of listening to Fox and Rob's movement today, their story, which really is one story in a movement. One thing that you can do is you can tweet, you can Instagram, you can Facebook, you can share this story. You can share their, their book and you can tweet directly to or write to or, or call, even better, call your representative in Congress and tell them to read the story and tell them that the 13th Amendment should not have, should not have the clause that, that legalizes slavery. That is an abomination in a democracy
2: and it must right. be stricken. From our constitution. Either we're going to be a free nation or we're going to be a slave nation, but we can't be now. both. Mm-hmm. Mm. Come on. Do
0: you have any, any lessons that you've learned or any final words that, 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 let me say that. Do you have any final words that you would like to offer to people who might be listening from prison?
2: From prison, I think that if they are listening from prison, for me, it would just be keep the faith. There is, they sent my family to prison to die. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the devil is alive. It is not about what other people think about us that matters. It is what we know to be true about ourselves that matters most. And with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. Nothing is impossible with God. Mm-hmm. And do you have any final words
0: for those receiving formerly imprisoned citizens who are coming home, particularly churches and other communities,
2: employers and others? What do they need to know? I think that this book is a testament. It is a testament to what our system is not doing right. It's a testament to how we did not act appropriately. But it's a testament to how we are redeemable as human beings. The book itself is a a testament to God's work. And I just think that when people take time, many people have seen the documentary. But the documentary does not go into depth about the journey. It doesn't share the miracles along the way. And so when people take just a moment to read time, our untold story, of the love that kept us together when incarceration kept us apart, it will give them a level of education and indoctrination into the system that is just not, I just haven't seen anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Now, Fox, I'm told that you are running
0: for for candidacy for elected office. Is that right? Look at her, she's actually hiding. Yes no stand in that Center yes yeah, you know, I- that was
2: a blush that was a blush Well, to me. Talk that. to us yes ma'am I am qualifying to run for state representative for my district here in New Orleans district 93 elections of February the 18th and instead of going to the to the state capitol and asking our lawmakers to Pass a bill, I'm going to be that voice that says that this bill needs to be passed. And I'm going to build those relationships across this state to talk about what we need to do differently here in the state of Louisiana. Wow. Instead of hoping somebody else does it, I'm just going to pray to God, go protect me and let me do a little bit of <laughs> Can I ask you what your process was in deciding to do that? Like, you had to have a process. Did
0: somebody say, you know what? You should run for office. Or did Damn. you have a sense in your soul that this might be?
2: When I graduated with my master's from Grambling and moved home, I moved home with the intention of getting into public service. I have Mm -hmm. always felt that it is a powerful tool and if used properly, can really help elevate and advance the community. And then less than a year later, I robbed a bank. And so my dreams were thwarted. But, Mm -hmm. you know, God says that, you know, he still restores and, and. And so to me, this is a dream restored It's not something that I just happened by or thought of or, you know, got a wild hair and said I was going to do it. This has been a dream of mine since I I was 25 years old. So, wow, one now. So you're coming
0: back around and you're finishing you're
2: finishing the work unfinished we, business unfinished business Paul <laughs> was unfinished business Rob went back to barber school even though he has his college degree he was in barber school when we <laughs> when we had this this hiccup in our journey and so yeah. he has been in barber school almost a year now so he'll be finishing this year That's right That's fabulous Rob you were going to say I think I saw you
1: It was Um, just one of your earlier questions when you were talking mm -hmm. about either organizations or individuals that are welcoming, you know, long serving or people that are incarcerated home. Is there anything that we would want to say to them? And one of the things that I would want to say to anyone that has that has found the love in their heart to receive someone that is uh, that is coming home, the importance of patience. Because when I was when I came home, you have to put that in context and understanding that I went into prison in 1997. Windows 95 came out just maybe a year and a half, almost two years prior to to me going into prison. Right. By the time I came home, I didn't know how to pump gas. I didn't know how to do the what or, what become, what's now normal functions. People in society now can't even function without a without a phone. You know, so those were like. Those were new things to me. Yeah. My life wasn't much different to from that of, you know, people that exited slavery of yesterday when they came out, one of the biggest issues that they, they had was communication. Read. They couldn't communicate properly.
2: Wow. They had to be
1: taught because you know, it was how illegal. To, how to speak the language. Right? Versus,
2: and cell phones are illegal in
1: prison. That's right. It's considered it's contraband true. contraband. Technology is considered contraband in prison. So
2: it's another way to make sure we're not reading and writing. Right. In the My in the goodness. new age you know. Wow. Thank you.
0: Seriously, thank you. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Thank you for your time. Thank you for your witness. Thank you for your lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Mm -hmm. The conversations leaders have on the road to justice. This is the Freedom Road Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The Freedom Road Podcast is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This episode was engineered by David Dalt of Sandberg Media and produced by Corey Nathan of Scan Media. Freedom Road Podcast is executive produced by Freedom Road LLC. We consult, coach, train, and design experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and lead to common action. You can find out more about our work at our website, freedomroad.us. Stay in the know by signing up for updates. We promise we won't flood your inbox. We invite you to listen again when the next episode drops. Until then, join the conversation on Freedom Road. Hey, and if you're with our Patreons, (laughs) our Patreon community, you get a little treat because we have a special behind-the-scenes conversation with Fox and Rob coming right up on Patreon.